This episode is made possible by the Napa Valley Wine Expert Course. The Napa Valley Wine Expert Course is the only professional certification that focuses solely on the wines and wine regions of Napa Valley. If you work with or have a love of wines of the Napa Valley, the Napa Valley Wine Expert Course is your opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of one of the world's top wine regions and an industry-recognized certification. Master the wine and wine regions of the Napa Valley today. More information under NapaValleyWineAcademy.com. That is NapaValleyWineAcademy.com. I told people in the office I was doing this, they're going, is this going to be fisticuffs? I go, no. <laughs> Tim's a good guy. From Napa Valley Wine Academy, it's the stories behind wine, a show about the people, places, and stories that influence the world of wine. I'm Christian Ogenfuss, and on today's episode, I sit down with Master of Wine Peter Marks and Master Sommelier Tim Gazer to discuss the differences between the Court of Master Sommeliers and the Institute of Masters of Wine, the two top credentials for wine professionals. Okay, so hi, this is Tim Gazer, Master Sommelier. Um, I'm an independent contractor consultant in the wine industry based in San Francisco, uh, my activities are teaching and examining for the Court of Master Sommeliers Americas, but also a whole range of clients from single wineries to wines of Germany, uh, winery associations in Italy and Spain and other places. And then I blog and research and write quite a bit as well. Great. Thank you. Peter? Hi, I'm Peter Marks, and I'm the Vice President of Education at Constellation Brands. I'm also a Master of Wine, and I'm on the Exam Education Board of the Institute of Masters of Wine, which helps to oversee the examination as well as the education seminars and events that we do throughout the world. If you could tell me a little bit, I'd be really interested to hear, Peter, how you got into started in the wine business. Can you tell us your story, your journey? How long do we have? Uh, <laughs> I'll try to make it short. Um, Actually, what really got me in the wine business, a little bit of a circuitous route, but I was a runner in high school, and I was always looking for that performance edge, and I got very interested in uh, nutrition. So I applied to UC Davis because they had a nutrition program and a very good running program at the time, and actually they still do. And while I was at Davis, um, I took some wine courses. Uh, my roommate, uh, who uh, ended up being a viticulture enology major. I think some of his interests rubbed off on me. His name is Rob Davis, and he's been the winemaker at Jordan Winery for over 40 years. Um, but while I was at Davis, I took some upper division classes, and then upon graduation, worked in the food industry as a chef and manager for about five years. And this was in the late 70s. You know, I graduated in 76, and the famous Paris tasting of 1976, I think, made a big impact on many of us. And I started to attend wine classes and tastings. And after five years of working in restaurants and nights and weekends and holidays and filling in for people who call in sick all the time, I had had enough. Um, and I saw an ad for a manager in a retail shop, and I an answered the ad, and they hired me. And next day, I started working in wine retail, which was about 20 uh, years of doing that. And then for the last 17, I've been focused on education. Great. So how, do, how did you go from... Uh, UC Davis working in the in the retail side to becoming one of the few world MWs. Yeah. Well, I, while I was at um, most of my retail experience was at a very uh, high end gourmet supermarket called Drager's Markets. Uh, they're based in the peninsula of, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and that uh, was a great place to learn and uh, teach and talk about wine. We did offer some wine classes, and that really piqued my interest uh, to further, you know, one of the best things to learn about wine is to be a teacher of wine, because you really have to know your subject matter. I also began to offer, while I was there, the WSET programs, and that kind of uh, became the linchpin for people who want to go and do the Master of Wine exam. Um, I guess the thing that piqued my interest was when one of the f uh, first two Americans passed, uh, Joel Butler and Tim Hanai. Joel and I were, uh, you know, good friends, and he told me about this Master of Wine exam, and I remember he passed on the copy of his exam, and I looked at it, and I thought, what the heck is this? I could never 
attempt that. And that was in 1990. And then a, a few years later, the Institute of Masters of Wine opened up their very first education seminar. And I uh, sort of applied on a whim thinking, yeah, they wouldn't take me. I didn't know enough. But little did I know they were, I think, willing to take anybody who would pay the entrance fee. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that started my education process. And um, I didn't sit that one year. I passed uh, on the first year. I didn't want to rush into it. So I sat for the first time in 93, and uh, it took me a few attempts, but I finally got there. Great, great. Well, con congratulations. Thanks. Tim, tell us a little bit about your journey in the wine business and how you got started and um, how you ended up pursuing the Court of Master Sommelier track of, of education. Well, like Peter, it's kind of a series of sideways career moves. Um, I have two degrees in music, and... Uh, you know, beyond that, I was my first job was in a restaurant business, bussing tables and washing dishes in a pancake house when I was like 16. And I worked in restaurants uh, throughout my undergraduate and graduate school days. Uh, I, again, two degrees in music, a BA in music history, uh, a master's in classical trumpet, and got my master's from the University of Michigan and bartended at two really good restaurants there that had really great wine programs. I mean, most of the places had about a thousand wines on the list each. And so it really got bitten by the wine bug there. And my wife, Carla, and I moved to the Bay Area in 1984. And, you know, I pursued a career in freelance classical trumpet, which, as you can imagine, lucrative. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had to go back into bartending to help pay the bills. And then from there, you know, I, and this would have been in 1984 and 85, I was already collecting wine and reading about it because I was really interested in it. And, uh, and then, you know, bartending led to wine buying and then was asked by uh, uh, the older brother of a good friend to help open a new restaurant in San Francisco called Cypress Club that would have a, a great wine program. And so I did that and helped run that. And while I was doing that, uh, I was told about the Master Sommelier program and, uh, you know, took the introductory course in March of 1990, got the highest score in the test, was really required, in a sense, to take the advanced uh, class and exam just three months later, which I didn't want to do, but I did and somehow passed it. And then, you know, the following March, took the master's exam for the first time and passed two of the three parts. And the tasting was extraordinarily difficult for me, but, uh, you know, the second time in 1992 managed to pass it. Well, congratulations. So maybe we can backtrack for for our listeners or, or rewind a little bit. And, and and Tim, maybe you could tell us exactly what is Master Sommelier Program and uh, what, what is its main mission and, and, and goal in the wine industry? Right. So the Court of Master Sommeliers, uh, the first exam was given in 1969 in London at Vintners Hall. And uh, the examiners there were a group of masters of wine and other top UK wine professionals, and there were three gentlemen who passed it. And, and the intent and the thinking was is that, you know, there was the Institute of Masters of Wine at the time for those who were in the trade and who were writers and experts in viticulture and vinification, but there needed to be a similar certification for sommeliers in the hospitality industry. And so... Uh, you know, that was the intent. And then in 1977, 17 master sommeliers uh, formed what is now known as the Court of Master Sommeliers to write and execute this master sommelier examination. And from there, you know, the curriculum was developed over the years. And the first exam was given in the United States in 1987. Uh, I believe there were three individuals who passed then. Uh, and uh, the, the American chapter was formed in 1989. And uh, Early sponsors were the National Restaurant Association, their Educational Foundation, and Crude Champagne. So when I took the introductory course in 1990, that was like the second of those ever given. And in terms of our mission and vision, obviously we have two uh, missions, and one of them is to train and examine sommeliers at the very highest level. And then the other one is to, to be uh, an important resource for wine and spirits education for people in the hospitality industry. Peter, tell me a little bit about uh, the Institute of Masters of Wine and what its main mission was originally and uh, what it is today. Yes. Um, so like the Master Sommelier, it actually got its uh, start in London in 1953. And it was really um, an organization to help 
um, bring more professionalism to the industry. You know, believe it or not, back then they also had fraud, fraudulent types of uh, activity, you know, blending wine from Algeria with Burgundy and, and the like. So it was really to bring professionalism, high standards, and to combat, you know, different types of fraud that were going on at the time. And the, uh, I forget how many people passed in 1953, but a handful of them did. Um, and up until 1988, it was strictly a UK-based uh, organization. At that time, they did open it up to um, people from other countries. Um, so today, uh, there are 356 Masters of Wine throughout the world coming from 29 different countries. And it's a, it's a, an examination that really challenges your knowledge in all aspects of wine, whether it's uh, you know growing of grapes, making of wine, um, you know, transportation, QA, QC, marketing, um, contemporary issues, and so you find that people who are in the Master of Wine program are coming from all different types of disciplines. They might be winemakers, they might be uh, wine buyers, journalists, uh, wine shippers, business owners, consultants. Um, many academics, and lo and behold, little wine educators like me. So, you know, there's it's a variety of things, and I think one of the big differences between the Master Sommelier and the Master Wine is that, you know, we don't do food and wine, uh, per se. I mean, we're not uh, doing the table service that would be part of the Master Sommelier exam. So it's, um, it's a different, I always say, if you're working in the restaurant business, you know, the Master Sommelier is probably more um, your, uh, your professional degree to go for, and not that you couldn't do the master of wine at the same time, but if you wanted to have a more uh, a different background or not do the restaurant business, you know the master of wine exam might be something that might be more appropriate. Great, uh, Tim. Anything to add to to that? Well, I completely agree with that. You know the, you know again we're a sommelier organization, and it's a sommelier title, and it really presupposes that uh, the people who are taking the exams have experience in the restaurant industry and. Well, you know, once you get to our advanced class and exam and our master's exam, obviously uh, there's a prerequisite that you're working on the floor of a really good restaurant that has a good program. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we are a sommelier organization, and that uh, is all about service. So I, I always say I can never pour wine without spilling it, and <laughs> that's why I'm not a master sommelier. It's true. I've got my tablecloth at home has many stains to it. So you bring up a, a good point that, that segues nicely into, into my next, next question, and that is the examination of the two bodies is also different, right? So not only are they um, different from a uh, discipline perspective, both deal with wine, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about the examination process, Tim, for the Court of Master Sommelier and the Master, um, Master Sommelier level? Sure. Uh, you know, we have four levels of classes and examinations. So we have a two-day introductory course that anyone can take. Uh, that's just a survey class that covers all the world's major wine regions, uh, has a service demonstration. There's a lecture on beer, sake, and spirits. And, um, and then at the end of it, there's just a 70-question multiple-choice test. And uh, obviously, anyone can take it. Uh, and then we have the level two is a certified sommelier examination, which is a one-day, three-part examination that has a written theory exam, that has a blind tasting of four wines, and then uh, using our deductive tasting grid, and then a service component, which could be champagne service or still wine service or ever. So uh, a student has to pass all three parts. From there, uh, something that is new for us is a one-day deductive tasting workshop. Uh, that we launched in 2015. And that's, again, it's not required, but we find that most students end up taking it simply because it's a great focus on tasting and, and improving your skills and your ability to use the, the tasting grid. After that, we have an advanced course, which is three days long, and we give it twice a year in the United States. It's for 150 students. And it's, you know, it's a series of lectures and tastings, and the lectures are all pretty deep dives. 90 minutes with tasting involved in each one. And uh, again, I think it's, it's got to be one of the better wine classes on the planet. It's really, really exceptional. And from there, the, the, you know, students who take that are then eligible to apply for our advanced exam, which we have three times a year in the U.S. Uh, for about 70 students each time. And that is a three-day examination with a, a written theory exam and also a business of wine exam a blind tasting of six wines, and then a service exam, which is comprised of 
decanting and champagne service, uh, identifying spirits by the nose alone, all sorts of things that a sommelier working on the floor of a really good restaurant would be expected to do. And from there, finally, the master's examination, the culmination is once again a three-part examination. It's all oral. There's nothing written, allowed. Uh, students have to pass the theory exam first, which again is about 45 minutes long and comprised of, you know, wickedly difficult questions. And after they pass the theory, they're allowed to sit for the other two parts, the uh, tasting and the uh, uh, service. And those two parts of the exam are very similar to the advanced. It's a six wine blind, double blind tasting. That's 25 minutes long. And once again, it's oral. And then the service exam is, again, being put into a mock restaurant situation. And uh, it's much more difficult. So, and, you know, the pass rate, once you get to the advanced, is about 30%. And then of those 30%, the pass rate at the master's is about 8%. Okay. Okay. Sounds sounds like a long process, right? Not something you do in a, it is. In a weekend? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's a, it's a journey, no doubt. Peter, talk talk to me a little bit about how um, that differs from the the institute's uh, examination uh, standards and and practices. Sure, um, I think one of the big differences is the fact that our exam is all written, and um, you know many parts of the, especially at the master sommelier level, it's it's done orally or as a you know as a practical in the service exam. Um, so our exam is. Uh, three parts. There is a, a tasting, a blind tasting, which takes place over three separate days. So each day you have 12 wines. Uh, the first day is all white wines. The second day is red wines. And the third day, they call it the mixed bag. It can be anything, but traditionally it would be where you would find uh, sparkling wines, fortified dessert wines, but they could throw anything at you on that day. So each day you have uh, two and a half or two and one quarter hours to um, assess the wines and fill in the answer sheet. Uh, I think the approach that you use with the MW and the MS is very similar. It's a very uh, deductive approach to tasting to be able to answer the questions. And our questions on the blind tasting don't just necessarily ask you to identify the wine. They might ask you to identify the production methods or assess the quality. And uh, what I think is really good because it's relevant in today's world is they might ask you about the commercial position. You know, where do you see this wine being sold and how do you see it being sold based on, you know, what you can glean from the glass. So that's the tasting part. Um, at the same time, uh, and that takes place over three mornings, uh, consecutive days. In the afternoon, you have your theory exam and they are three hours each. There are, there are five papers. Uh, the first paper is the viticulture paper. Second paper is wine production. Uh, paper three is the uh, sort of the post-maturation QAQC, everything that happens after fermentation. So it could be barrel aging, it could be bottling, that kind of thing. Paper four is the marketing paper. And then finally, the last paper, paper five, they call it the essay. And that's where you can write on a given topic. That, there's a number of topics you choose from, but it's uh, primarily on contemporary issues in, in today's world. Um, once you pass the theory and the tasting, then you're eligible to do the final hurdle, which is the research paper. And the research paper is an independent um, work that you do on an original topic. It must be wine-related. It can come from any area of the sciences, humanities, arts, uh, could be social science, and it must be between 6,000 to 10,000 words. You know, for example, um, one of our local MWs, Mary Margaret McCammick, just wrote her research paper uh, last year, which she passed, um, which was an investigation into the exceptions for the Volstadt Act in, you know, during Prohibition. How did, how did uh, people grow grapes and make wine in Napa Valley during Prohibition? Uh, another friend of ours, Matt Deller, wrote a research paper on the Coravan and you know, its use, use and functionality and marketing in uh, restaurant by the glass programs. So you can choose something that's very, it must be specific, obviously it could be something of your interest, um, but it must be an original uh, piece of work and have some research sort of associated with it. So both of these programs uh, really need someone who has uh, a time on their hands Right and 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 a commitment to uh, to to excellence, and it, it appears that both programs have grown in the last five years, uh, quite a bit. Right with with a lot of interest and uh, in the programs, can each of you maybe tell me a little bit or tell us a little bit about what is driving that interest, and are we seeing 
better people apply or are we seeing just more people apply for these programs? And I'll start with with you, Peter. Oh, I was going to let Hollywood take over because, you know, they've, <laughs> they've got a movie that made them famous and a TV show. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, I, I think in general throughout the world, uh, wine education has become... Um, almost mandatory if you're going to succeed in the business because you need to know what's going on. Whether it's, you know, working in a restaurant, you need to have the skill set. If you're working as a distributor or an importer, you know, you need to have the knowledge of, of everything that's going on in today's world and, and must have a professional approach. So I think one of the reasons the MW numbers have increased is that um, sort of the considered the precursor to the Master Wine Program is the Wine and Spirit Education and Trust or the WSET program. Now, there, there's sometimes a confusion between the two because they are, they're both uh, organizations are based in London. However, the WSET is separate from the MW. And where it gets confusing is uh, I think we have four, maybe five MWs that work at the WSET. But it, if you go through the four levels of WSET and finish with diploma, diploma is considered the uh, prerequisite before you tackle the MW. It's Now that the WSET is available in many parts of the world, it's, it's almost a requirement before you can apply for the MW program. Or if you don't have the diploma, you should have some sort of... Um, Degree, maybe it's a viticulture enology degree or some some type of degree that could be you know an advanced MS or master psalm that kind of thing could also be applicable, um, but I think the the level of education and the interest in it has just become uh, so magnified in the past few years as we we in the U.S. I think have really uh, grown our interest in things like wine and food, um, you know, things that are interestingly. Uh, compelling from an intellectual standpoint, but also from, you know, from a, a sensory and enjoyment and being able to relax in today's really crazy, hectic world that we live in. Um, it allows us a, a chance to, um, you know, just like you go and listen to a, an opera or watch a ballet. I mean, it's another piece of art that is something that keeps us um, interest, our lives interesting. Well, well said. Mm. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about <laughs> what has driven this this enorm, enormous interest in uh, in uh, not only becoming a sommelier but becoming a master sommelier. Right. So I have to say, you know, just as a to set this answer up, that I was education chair and education director for the court in the United States from 2003 through 2011. And during that time, I can tell you we were experiencing a very healthy organic growth. But then I there. As I'm sure most of the listeners know already, there were two movies done by Jason Wise in Southern California. And that followed up with the, there was a six-part TV series on Esquire Channel uh, that followed uh, six master's candidates uh, trading for and then taking the master's exam. So for better or worse, you know, everybody knows what a sommelier is now and certainly knows about the Muster Sommelier program. And along with that has come unprecedented growth, which is great. But with that unprecedented growth, more and more non, uh, not only non-wine industry people, but non-restaurant people are, you know, taking our classes and trying to take our exams. So that's a, it's an interesting dilemma. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah, I would say also the, um, I think both the MS and MW programs have uh, seen a lot of individuals who are coming from other industries because you mm -hmm. know, maybe they're burned out on wall street or, you know, they, you know, they don't like going into uh, in front of a judge and being a lawyer and, and, you know, trying to convict somebody. I mean, those, we see a lot of different um, professionals who are coming into wine because they think, they think it's a gosh, I can make money being in the wine business. Well, <laughs> that's before they know what really goes on. I mean, it's as as right. you know, it's a lot of work, and um, and it, like any job, it has it can have its challenges. But I think there's a the image of wine of this romantic you know mealtime beverage of something that would just be so much fun to work in, and yeah. and that's that is true to a certain extent, but it is also a business. And I think once people really get into it, um, they you know they realize that as well. What are some of the biggest misconceptions someone might have about uh, a master sommelier, Tim? Well, from you know, seeing those, uh, seeing the movies and seeing the TV, all they see is, uh, you know, these people portrayed in both who are going to tastings and then working on the floor and taking, uh, you know, competitions, etc. 
And that's really the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's a probably about, you know, working on the floor is maybe 25 to 30% of what you do in a full-time sommelier position because the rest of it is dealing with vendors and it's also lifting a lot of boxes and, and having to deal with inventory, you know, and also staff training. And, you know, I, you know, when I was on the floor, Cypress Club, uh, you know, I had my weeks were about 70 plus hours, you know. It was just really, really long hours and a lot of it physical labor having to do with dealing with inventory, moving boxes, you know. So there's most of it is not very glamorous at all. And certainly there's a lot having to do with uh, dealing with vendors, with everyone from big distributors to individual wineries and, you know, certainly your budget and your inventory and everything like that. And so that, you know, the fun part was working on the floor or, you know, going to tastings, et cetera. But most of it was uh, not real glamorous stuff. How about the Masters of Wine? What What is the biggest misconception you think people have about uh, M- MWs or, or an MW graduate? Um, to be honest, the biggest misconception is that we're not MSs. <laughs> I get asked, I get oh, asked all the time, so you're a master. Oh, you're a master sommelier. I go, no. <laughs> I think, again, you know, the, the fame that the uh, MSs have gained from their movies and TV show, I think, have really um, propelled them into the limelight. Um, so that's probably the biggest misconception. I think the the other big misconception is, and it's starting to erode, um, but for many years it was thought to be impossible. And I think it was, I mean, it is a difficult exam, but I think uh, the Institute of Masters of Wine have gone to great length to increase their education programs that leading up to it. I didn't go into the background of what you must do, number one, to apply. And then once you're accepted, there's uh, a stage one, which is your first year, and you have to pass uh, assessments along the way to be able to then go on to stage two, and you have to pass assessments along the way after that before you can even sit for the exam. And along the way, you're assigned mentors, you're you're given practice uh, exams and essays to really help fine-tune your skills. And by the time you or through the stage two program, you really are um, well prepared to sit for uh, the exam, or you should be, assuming you've put in the work. You know, when I took it, uh, there was no WSET. I, I basically had taken some classes at UC Davis. I was uh, lucky that I had a lot of mentors that helped me, but it was pretty much self-taught when I did it. Um, and it, I think today we've got a number of resources that does make it uh, something that is um, certainly a challenge, but I think it is achievable. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions that has been kind of uh, keeping our numbers low here in the U.S. You know, we only have about, I think, now 35 American MWs. Um, and I think that misconception is beginning to wane as there are more of us now that can hopefully spread the good news that you can do this. You, you bring up a very good point and, and lead, leading to my next question. And are some of the people that are going for these top certifications, MS, MW, are they the, the same type of person who would aspire to climb Mount Everest and they just do it because it's there and they have no real plan for what they will achieve after they have it? And I'll, I'll kick it to you, uh, Tim, first and let Peter follow up. Uh, I don't think so, so much. And, and the reason why is, you know, I think the restaurant business, and Peter might agree with me on this, I think there are two great equalizers in life. One is parenthood, and the other one is uh, working in the restaurant industry. And if somebody just wants to achieve some really monumentally difficult goal, there's a lot of things out there they can do. But working in a restaurant, and when you work in a restaurant, you are, in fact, being a, uh, you're, you're a servant in, in a context, and, and that's your role, especially if you're a sommelier. You know, certainly I think people have gotten the misconception that, you know, sommeliers are rock stars and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, you know, you're the head of a service team, uh, hopefully in a really good restaurant, and you have to set the example. And so I don't think everyone can can uh, step into that role and take all the attention off themselves and put it on the guests, because that's what great hospitality is. That's what a great restaurant experience is. And, you know, frankly, not everybody can do that. Yes, I, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think about who comes into the program. There are some people that um, obviously do it because they want to challenge themselves. Um, but at the same time, they want to increase their skills. They want to become a professional. They want to make the wine a career. Um, and this is the way to do it, to be able to realize those goals. And, um, you know, I, I tell people I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the MW because it opens doors that normally would not be open for you. Um, certainly at the same time, I think there's some folks that do it for the ego and, you know, 
those people tend to wash out pretty quickly <laughs> once they realize that, uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be glamorous once you pass, but you have to put in the work. And if you're doing it just because you want to be self-fulfilled on some level um, and not do the work, you're not going to be successful. So I, I, I pretty much agree with what Tim has to say. You know, it's, it's, it's something that has to be earned. Um, and just like rest, working in a restaurant, working in retail, you know, one of the reasons I'm glad after 20 years I don't have to lug boxes up and down stairs and, you know, do inventory every three months. And um, I still call my buddies down at Drager's at inventory day and, you know, just to hear them cuss me out when I call them because I'm, I'm busting their balls. But <laughs> but one of the things that yeah, I don't miss about it is is that aspect. Uh, it's it's a tough work. You, know, you really, ha- and, but it's necessary to get uh, to get to the ultimate level. Folks o- often want to kind of pit the two organizations a- against each other, right? They 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 we love naturally we love rivalry. Is there a rivalry in the ranks? It does an MS look at an MW and say, ah, look at that guy, and and does an MW look at an MS and say, ah, look at that guy. Is there a rivalry, or is it just great, great story and great Hollywood? No, no, it's yeah. All I can say is, you know, we in the court. I mean, we look at the MW exam as being monumentally difficult, and certainly have a lot of admiration and respect for the people who can pass it or the people who are on that uh, journey. You know, I mean, it's incredibly difficult. So, no. I don't think so. I think proof of that is, I agree with Tim, is that, you know, we don't have a reality show yet. So, you know, <laughs> if there was a controversy, I'm sure someone would have done that already. But, right. you know, and it's, uh, and I, like Tim said, I have the utmost respect for people like Tim, for Peter Granoff, uh, for many MSs that I've have been able to uh, know and get to know over the years. Um, and, and you can just look at the you know, was it four now or five individuals who have both MS and MW? And, um, you know, I think one of the great things about that, not just that they're incredibly (laughs) intelligent and, uh, you know, mind-boggling people, but they've helped, I think, in some ways, bridge the the differences Mm -hmm. between the MS and the MW to be able to show that, um, yes, we're different organizations, but at the same time, we complement each other in in raising the standards for the industry. And I think we can learn from each other. You know, we could, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as I said, the tasting is very... The approach is similar, although the way you communicate is different. But I think there's uh, mm-hmm. overlap as well. I also think, you know, uh, hats off to the WSET for having such a fantastic curriculum. And I can't count the number of times I've recommended that to someone uh, who's been in our program, but also other people. It's just the go-to curriculum for wine. Um, so yeah. uh, do a great So you bring up an interesting point, and that is that I think what some people don't realize is that both of these programs it's up to you to set your 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 course of study right it's it's up to you to prepare you're not going to get the here's here's a, a textbook for the mw you need to know everything in this and you certainly don't get that for the court of master sommeliers either here's the one book that you you study for everything so they're both more certification or testing organizations than they are educational organizations would that be safe to say in bo- in both regards uh, definitely in the case of the uh, master sommeliers, yeah. And I would say yes and no uh, on the MW side. I, again, I think we've gone to great lengths to increase the education opportunities, but there's a certain expectation you know, just coming in. Like I said, you must have diploma or some equivalent uh, certification. And there's, uh, But we, do, we give you the tools that uh, will help you understand what you need to do to pass. Um, you still have to do the work, but they, I think they've done a better job in explaining you know, what that achievement looks like and how to go about uh, attaining that. So let me, let me ask you this, and this, this question is for, uh, for you, Tim. We often see advanced sommeliers um, go for the, the, the master sommelier, pass the mm-hmm. exam. They, they've been with a restaurant uh, for, for many years and, and, and mm-hmm. have done their time on the floor, and then they leave. They leave yep. the restaurant industry once they have the master uh, uh, sommelier title. Two mm-hmm. question, two part question. Oh, they they end up running a winery in Napa. Isn't that what they do? <laughs> <laughs> we were going to get there. <laughs> so one, doesn't that undermine a little bit um, the whole uh, certification because you're 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 certifying that someone is of excellence and at the top of their game in the restaurant mm-hmm. business and shouldn't they stay there and, and continue to drive excellent in, in that industry, uh, number one. And number two, why do you think it is that people like Peter said do end up in, uh, in other disciplines of, of the industry? 
those are two questions, short questions with long answers. So let me see if I can do justice to them both. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I might counter with a question. You know, why should someone be limited to a certain aspect of their industry? So that's you know fair to say. But beyond that, you know, the restaurant industry is really hard work. And uh, and for me, uh, after I passed in '92, I was on the floor for about another 18 months. And then you know, I had two young children under the age of five. And I actually wanted to see them. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I, I had also been in and out of the restaurant industry since the time, and this is at the time I would have been 40, I think. And so, and I'd been working in restaurants in and out since I was 16. And I, and I thought it was time for a change. Now, that's me personally. I think for other people, it could be a similar reason. Uh, after they've been on the floor, they've achieved a, a measure of excellence in terms of the title. And I think they're intrigued about making wine or they're intrigued about starting their own companies or just doing other things. That being said, those of us who pass, and that's most of us, continue to teach and examine. I mean, our examining rotation for the upper level exams, it probably has 50 to 60 people on it in the United States. And if that's the case, we're always teaching to our standards. I think that's the most important thing, especially in regards to service. So it's not like that ever gets eroded. I mean, the standards of the exam are the same. And sure, I do quite a bit of teaching. And, uh, you know, quite a bit of it has to do with service. So that's always the concern is it's what's going to happen to the service standards. Uh, they can be taught and uh, certainly demonstrated to the highest level. And from there, you know, I also think and certainly know about the MW is true is that we have a great mentoring program as well. So I think most of us that pass that half the time are mentoring groups or individuals who are on the exam track. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. Um, it's just that I think many of us who pass uh, are challenged by other things in the industry and want to try other things as well. Some of us do stay. And there's certainly you know, more than a handful of us that do stay and run restaurants and run very successful wine programs. Now, I, and I was just going to uh, follow up on what Tim said because uh, back to your earlier point about um, – you know, the differences between the, or the respect between the MWs and MSs. One of the reasons I do respect the MSs is because their skills are transferable. Uh, you know, because they've worked in restaurant doesn't mean they can't do anything else. And I think anybody who passes the MS or MW is somebody who's, number one, very knowledgeable, number two, dedicated to the profession, and very passionate about what they do. And if you do that in any job, no matter what it is, whether you're a writer or a winemaker and consultant, educator, um, you don't have to work in a restaurant uh, and be successful because those skills are transferable. So my, my next question in the similar vein is, is to you, Peter, and, and it is you're, you're studying, you're working for a winery, you're a winemaker, and you're going for your MW, and, and that lucky day comes when your research paper is signed off and uh, the press release goes out, you're now an MW. How does your life change? Do, you, do we see that winemaker saying, okay, now I'm, I'm going to explore other avenues, um, and how does it make the winemaker, the viticulturist, the wine buyer better, different? What, how does their life change? Uh, well, first you cry, <laughs> and then you go up and open a bottle of champagne. Uh, but no, seriously, I, you know, it, it's hard to answer because I think it's different for everyone. Um, one thing, and this is just my own um, sense, one of the things that I think is good is to not make any radical changes once you pass the MW. I've seen people who have made a change, you know, after the first year of passing, and that doesn't seem to always work so well. Not, I'm not saying never do that, but they, they, because they've been in this job for so long and they feel you know, they, they've done it, they want to move on to something else, because they have this first opportunity or two that come through because they've passed, it may not be the right opportunity. Um, so take some time. Make, make, take, take a year or two and really find out what it is you want to do. Um, do some soul searching. I mean, when I passed, I was working at Drager's Markets um, and, you know, I, I was totally indebted to them because they helped support me through that program, and I stayed for another uh, five years afterwards, not just because I felt indebted, but I still loved my job, and I had some other offers that came through, but, you know, nothing really felt right, um, and so it took me that amount of time before I decided to move on, but again, I think it's a choice that individuals need to make, but I would just caution that you not make it too quickly just because the next big offer may not be the right one. Where do we find the world's MWs. When we look at f from an industry's perspective, where 
what what cross section or what part of the industry do we find yeah. find them in? A uh, number of educators, uh, journalists, uh, winemakers, um, people who are in the industry as a buyer or importer, or distributor, shippers. Uh, some people have their own business, um, and obviously consultants are a big one too. So it it's I couldn't say there's one typical type of job, but one of the things that many of the MWs do, um, just like Tim alluded to, is to give back and, and to educate others. So we do have a, a really good um, sort of a, not that it's required, but it's it's something that it's assumed that you're going to help give back to others. And, uh, and many of us enjoy doing that. So you bring up this concept of mentoring, and, and Tim mentioned it uh, uh, earlier as well. Let me ask both of you this question. Who, who's been the biggest influence uh, in your lives or, or taken on the role of mentor in, in your wine career? And Tim, I'll, I'll start with you. Well, certainly when I was in the exam process, and that was a long time ago, um, there were a group of masters locally here, Evan Goldstein, uh, Nunzio Aliotto, Fred Dane. And they, you know, I was, I was also in a really outstanding uh, tasting study group that had three other individuals who ultimately passed. And that was Peter Granoff, who Peter just mentioned a few moments ago. Also Steve Morey and the late Mike Bonacorsi. So I was so fortunate to work with those three guys uh, because they were much better tasters than me. I really struggled with tasting. And certainly, you know, getting back to local Lamesses, Nunzio and Fred and Evan were just great resources and willing to spend time with us to help us get ready for the exam. And how about you, Peter? Um, yeah, I, I had many along the way. I, you know, one person I cannot forget to mention is my father, because he had a little bit of interest in wine growing when I was growing up, and I never thought I wanted to pursue that. But I think being exposed to wine at a young age helped. Um, certainly when I went to UC Davis and roomed with Rob Davis, and as I was studying for the MW, I constantly harassed Rob. And, you know, we'd go to spring training in Arizona, watch our favorite team, the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, he just want me to watch the game. And I'd be asking him about filtration and SO2. And he's like, just shut up. Uh, I think Joel Butler, you know, the first American who passed, helped me. Uh, he was a mentor to me. And there were many other MWs as, um, you know, just like Tim had many MSs, I think. Um, and, and I would say the Drager family was very supportive. Um, and my the folks that I worked at Drager's, I learned from them. I learned from all the salespeople who uh, came when I was a buyer. And uh, and I also have to mention the the Varners, Bob and Jim Varners. They, they you know, used to have a small winery down in Portola Valley. And I lived in nearby, and I used to go and visit them and learn about how to grow grapes and how to make wine. And you know, they lear- helped me learn quite a bit as well. So it sounds like a the wine industry is a, is a phenomenal place for community and and, and really helping everyone elevate their their game, it sounds like, for both, yeah. both experiences. Yep. Yeah. It takes a yep. village. Yeah. What has been either of your um, biggest achievement or proudest moment since since getting to the level that, that, that you've achieved? Peter? Um, not one moment, but I think the most gratification I get is when I help others uh, pass. Um, you know, I've been, again, helping... Uh, particularly on the tasting side with uh, folks here in the U.S. And when I know they've passed and, you know, they thank me, but I know they've done the work, but I, I may have assisted in that way. And that, that's very gratifying. Um, I, I like to say it's a psychic p- paycheck you get. <laughs> so by helping them and seeing them be successful, that's, that's really makes me feel good. How about you, Tim? Well, I, you know, a couple of things come to mind. The first thing is, is like Peter alluded to, I mean, you know, just so few people pass. And in 25 years, I've probably got got to tell five people or six people that they passed. And so those are great moments and uh, really, really amazing that you always remember. But for me, also, just the work I've done on, on memory, uh, olfactory and taste memory with a behavioral scientist a few years back. So that's that's definitely a high point, and that's something I continue to do. I'd love to ask you your, your advice for someone young starting out. Um, let's let's assume a, a twenty four twenty one year old um, uh, young lady, and she's looking to her aspirations are to become a master uh, sommelier. What should what should she be doing? How should she be preparing, um, Tim, well, for for that for that ambition and that goal? Well, first of all, hopefully not an expectation that it's going to happen quickly, you know, uh, something that's going to take several years. And uh, and also just having, 
you know, an extended background in the restaurant industry, literally starting at the bottom, the bottom rung, and uh, really having a lot of experience working on the floor of a really good restaurant, you know. And from there, you know, being in the right tasting study group, because uh, as I'm sure Peter would agree, it's, it's, you can't do it by yourself. Uh, you need people to support you and also help you with the learning process. And, uh, and I guess, again, to repeat, it's just, it is a journey and the, the realization, the understanding that it's going to take a while. How about you, Peter? What, what would you say to that same, uh, same young lady who said, well, actually, no, it's the MW I want. Right. Well, again, don't, don't expect it to happen overnight. I, you know, we do require that people have, uh, I forget if it's either three or five year, uh, experience in the wine industry and that that can't not be replaced i mean you just especially on the tasting side if you have not been actively tasting uh for people to build up you know sort of that that uh, library or database of wines and being able to compare and contrast you can't do that without number of years of tasting so tasting is extremely important i think um you know taking classes no matter where it is certainly the wset is the go-to uh, curriculum for those who want to pursue the MW. And you know, besides that, I, when I was studying, I can only say what worked for me. I took classes through UC Davis, you know, learned about uh, you know, how to start a vineyard. I took classes in wine chemistry just to help further my knowledge. Um, and traveling is important too. You know, be able to see and learn from others around the world how they approach um, their winemaking or growing of grapes. And you know, you need to have a world view of things in the MW. So that, that's something that is, it cannot be replaced by just, you can't get all of that just reading it in a book. Other than the, the fabulously huge paycheck one gets once we, uh, they achieve the, the MS or the MW, right? Yeah, millions are assured and, and uh, the, the vacation home in Cabo. What, what are the other benefits that come along with, with holding these titles? Well, you, you didn't mention the company that Tim and I actually worked at for a little bit. We had, yeah, I was going to say. We, we had all those stock all... options, remember, Tim? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was hoping you would bring that up, Peter, because, you know, uh, I had the great pleasure of working with Peter. Peter, I've known you, I don't know, 15, 18 years. Right. But, uh, you know, we worked together for just over a year. That's and, right. Uh, in one of those doomed first generation dot coms. Right. In its own way, that was hugely successful, but unfortunately didn't last. So um, the, uh, but I guess the only other thing uh, is you, and Peter mentioned this, is you have leverage. You have leverage and you get more and better opportunities uh, than someone who doesn't have the title, I guess. And for me, yeah, I mean, being able to spend more time with my family. <laughs> mm, uh, you know, right. Tim mentioned, you know, working in a restaurant was tough, but, um, you know, the time studying was taking a lot of time away from my family and Thank God yeah. I was, I am still married to a wonderful woman who put up with me during that time. Um, and my second born hap, was born actually uh, one month a, uh, one month after the exam, so the, the, my final exam, so I had passed. I told myself that that was the last time I was going to sit. I, I wasn't going to be studying with two kids at home. That was just going to be too much. So. so, so two last questions, and and the 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 the, the first one is. What area of uh, of either certification is kind of the the kryptonite for for a student? Is there one? Um, is it the tasting? Is it is it the theory? Uh, and I guess in the um, in the case of the Court of Master Sommeliers, is it the service part? Where where do you find that most um, students underestimate how much they'll have to uh, uh, to invest? Not from a financial standpoint, but just from an energy standpoint and maybe where they aren't concentrating enough on. And I'll start with you, Tim. Uh, by and large, the tasting. You know, I think the tasting proves to be the most difficult uh, part of the curriculum for practically everyone. And I think that's simply because by the time you get to the master's exam to even be there, you're working in a really good restaurant. You know, uh, And that's not to say that there are people who are retailers and, you know, are in other parts of the industry, but at the same time, if they are taking the master's exam, they have plenty of floor experience. But the tasting, for me especially, but for many people, was the most difficult part. How much should they be tasting? How much on a daily, weekly basis? What should they? Well, be that's no, that's hard to answer. You know, you work with a tasting group, but but you know, it's it is really all about memory and perception, and neither of those things require a glass of wine in your hand. So it's. You know, it's a lot of associative mental rehearsing about about flavors, about aromatics, about 
and structural calibration and, you know, and the wines themselves and certainly tasting double blind, but, uh, you know, tasting with uh, the wines revealed and, you know, it's creating memory, really, really refined memory. I would have to say the same is the tasting. Um, I'm not sure it was always the tasting that was a challenge on the MW side, but certainly in recent years, the, the pass rate has been um, less on the tasting as compared to the theory. I think one of the reasons for that is that people underestimate what it takes to pass the tasting. And again, like the experience, especially if you're that 24-year-old and you, know, you want that instant success, um, we have resources now to get the theory knowledge. Uh, you can, you know, we've got the internet. People travel quite a bit these days, so they can gain that knowledge. But to be able to taste wines and build up that um, that memory and the vocabulary and understanding styles throughout the world is something that just doesn't come easily. Um, I always tell people the 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 book that Malcolm Gladwell uh, wrote, where you know he talks about the ten thousand hours and. I once sat down and kind of looked at my you know, 15 years in retail when I took the exam, and I, I roughly sketched out the number of hours, and I had put in about 10,000 hours of tasting at that point. And I think you know, that's something that is important to be able to... And, and I think what Tim has done with his memory work helps to um, fast-track that in, in a really good way. So, so the last question is, what would you have done differently in prepar uh, preparing yourselves for, uh, for the exam? Maybe had a separation from my wife for a few years just so we didn't have to go. <laughs> I, I'd say that in jest, but there was one day when I thought she was, I mean, she literally slammed the door and took my daughter and she went out and I didn't know if she was coming back. I mean, we were supposed to do, it was a Sunday, I'll never forget. It was, I was working on studying and I said, well, just give me another minute, another minute. Well, that turned out to be like three hours. And um, after she left, I felt terrible and I just, I didn't know what to do. But other than that, I mean, being more cognizant and trying to just balance the life and the, your family and your work life and uh, is, is the hardest thing. But I don't think I would have done it differently. I, I, I enjoyed the journey. Um, it's, it's made me a better person. And um, I'm sure everyone who does either the Master Sommelier or the Master Wine exam will find their own path. And, and don't regret it. Don't, you know, there's no looking back. Tim. Yeah, you know, in thinking about it, I don't think I would have done anything differently. I was just as I mentioned before, is so fortunate to be in such a, an amazing tasting group with very talented people who worked at top restaurants. I mean, it was just serendipitous, you know, um, that the four of us worked in four, four really top restaurants here in San Francisco and had access to all this wine. Uh, but at the same time, all four of us were really motivated and we wanted to make it happen and we were very supportive of each other. So I, I don't think I would have done anything differently at all. Great. Well, I want to thank you both for taking time out of very busy uh, schedule of um, uh, of your day, and thanks so much for sharing your insight and, and deep knowledge into and and really a view into what it takes to become uh, master sommelier and, and uh, master uh, of wine. So, uh, Tim, thanks so much for joining us uh, virtually over over the interwebs, and and mm -hmm. Peter for joining us here in the studio. Thank you, Chris. Bye. Thanks, Good talking Chris. with My you, pleasure. Tim. Yeah. Cheers. Likewise. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to NapaValleyWineAcademy.com. You can also subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. You can write to us at listen at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, it's at NapaWineAcademy. I'm Christian Ogenfus, and you've been listening to the stories behind wine from Napa Valley Wine Academy.